I just want you to know that we, well, let me back up just for a moment before I get there, is, you know, before, before I came to PIC, I hear there was a prophecy given at one point about PIC being a ascending church, um, and there would be people coming in, getting healed, getting, I guess, built up in leadership and sent out, and we continue to see that over and over and over um, with Lindsay um, being sent out in, in essence in, in a lot of ways. And so um, it's one of those that it's, it's fun, it's exciting, but also, you know, it's like, well, who's next? Who's, who's God sending next? Um, which is not always a bad thing. I know a lot of times there's seasons that, that come and there's seasons that go, but, you know, of course we always want to have family around us, spiritual family and, and all that, but it is a celebration of what God's doing, how he brings people in and, and really through what you guys do of loving people and, and, and sharing the word and speaking the word and, and all those different things, people are built up and sent back out. And so it's not always a fun, easy thing, but yet it is a glorious thing um, in God's kingdom. And so just praise to God for that. And just, you know, times of celebration um, with Lindsay going, we do have a new member of the family, um, the Swartzes. Brian and I had their baby on Tuesday, Sophia, right? Sophia, we don't know the middle name. I'm going to suggest Stephanie. Um, you know, what do you think? It's a good idea. <laughs> but, um, but she is in the hospital. Um, I guess she came home and then had to go back because of high bilirubin levels. And so I think they're coming down as of this morning. So if you just keep her in prayer, um, hopefully maybe they'll come home later today. Maybe, hopefully. She's at home. But anyway, just keep her in prayer. Um, you know, if you've had... A child had to deal with the Billy Rubin issues of blankets and pads and all that. It's it's uh, it's not always an easy thing, but um, but the Lord has definitely got her in hand, her hands or his hands. But um, you know, this time of year, you know, our kids got out of school on Friday, and so we we've been in a week of celebration, field trips, and parties, and them coming home full of a bunch of sugar and candy and and all those great things. And I mean, it's celebration time, right? It's just. You just do it, I guess, and uh, nerds, and what are all those candies you talked about, Jackie? Um, airheads, because they're not airheads, but and they're nerds and, and all that stuff. But, uh, and then we jumped in the car on Friday and, and headed to the mountains. Um, my nephew was graduating from high school, but I was thinking, you know, when we had a cookout yesterday, it was to celebrate him, but then we had like five or six birthdays in the family. I think from the beginning of May until June 24th, we have seven birthdays in our family, almost one a week. And so uh, it's a time of celebrating, right? Um, and most people just get a card from us. Happy birthday, you know. God bless you. Um, <laughs> just to be honest, right? You just got to put it out there. But it, it is a time of celebration. And really this morning is a celebration. Pentecost It's the birthday of the church um, in, the, in terms of what we find in Acts moving forward. But Pentecost is not something that was new in the time of Acts, in the time of, of the New Testament church, the time of the disciples. Pentecost is, is found in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. So I want to talk this morning a little bit about Pentecost, some of the, some of the history and roots of Pentecost. But Pentecost basically is a Greek word for a festival from the Old Testament known as the festive or a festival of weeks, or a lot of times just known as weeks. And you can see in, in Exodus 34, it says, Observe the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest in the festival of the end gathering at the turn of the year. And so Pentecost means 50 in Greek, 50 days from Passover, basically. So we're looking at 50 days. And what the Israelites were supposed to do is they were to bring the first fruits of the wheat, of the harvest. Basically, this is a time of year when um, that harvest is coming into being and, and you harvest it. And so they would bring the first fruits into Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 16, 9 and 10. Do we have that, Nathan? Yeah, it says, You are to count seven weeks, counting the weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. You are to celebrate the festival weeks to the Lord your God with a free will offering that you give in proportion to how the Lord your God has blessed you. And so this is, this is traditionally what was done in Israel. But yet this, this festival had changed some along the way. It was a pilgrimage, um, psych, or pilgrimage holiday where people would come to Jerusalem and offer the, the first fruits. But also as time went on and, and as Israel became less of a of an agricultural society, it began to commemorate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, where God had given the law to, to the Israelites. In the, in the Talmud, which is basically 
um, a, well, it's a Hebrew word which means study or instruction. It's basically the rabbi teachings, the interpretation of the law beginning in, in about 1 AD through about 6 century AD. And it's just a, it's a book of all the different teachings. The Talmud explains this holiday weeks as basically as a marriage. It's a marriage between God and his people. It's where heaven and earth come together in, in a covenant Thus, the giving of the law. That's where we have the old covenant, where God gave the law. And, and really, the marriage certificate is the law, which I think is, is kind of neat in all that. And I think when we begin to look at Pentecost, we know the Holy Spirit was given to the church um, or to the people, to Christians um, on this day when it was, when, as the disciples were gathered in the upper room. It's really the same thing where you have God marrying his people. And the covenant relation through a covenant relationship and, and the marriage certificate, you could say is the Holy Spirit. You know, Ephesians says that we're we're marked, we're sealed by the by the Holy Spirit. And so when we read in Acts chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all gathered in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared on them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages. And as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. An amazing thing that God did on this day. You know, as, as the disciples had been gathered and waiting in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had asked, 120 is what's recorded in the book of Acts were waiting. They were praying. In some ways, they didn't know what to do. They were just waiting patiently. There may have been fear that was there. There may, have, of course, the unknown was there. Where is God leading us? What is God doing? What, what is, what, where is He taking us? All that. And on this morning, the Holy Spirit came into the room. And I think a lot of times when we look at this scripture, we we get focused sometimes on the tongues part. That, but it's a little bit more than that. Actually, it's a whole lot more than that because it's a fulfillment of the promises of God. God said, I will send the Holy Spirit. I will send the counselor. I will send the advocate. I will send one who will guide you and lead you and fill you and empower you and anoint you to do the work of the ministry. It's greater than, than speaking in tongues or interpretation of tongues, even though those things are, are great. It's the fulfillment of God's promises. You know, the wind here symbolizes the Spirit of God. You know, in Ezekiel 37, we talked about this earlier this year, the story of the dry bones. It is the Spirit of God, as, as Elijah prophesies, that puts life, fills the bones with life, and they come together. You know, Luke talked about this, um, recording the words of John the Baptist, that, that John the Baptist said that he would come to baptize with wind and with fire, right? Nathan, bring up Luke chapter 3. It says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so the fire represents God, it represents the Holy Spirit. Fire is associated in the Old Testament with the, the presence of God. We see this in the burning bush. When Moses came, the bush was burning, but yet was not consumed. In, in the New Testament, we see it as well. Hebrews 12, 9 it declares that our God is a consuming fire. And so it's an exciting day because God has given us something, something that empowers us. Not something, but he gives us himself. The third part of the Trinity. Many times the third part is kind of pushed to the side a little bit or, or not held as much value because we know the Father and we know the Son, but the Holy Spirit is, is in equality with the, the Father and the Son as well. And the ministry of, of the Holy Spirit is what we what we have here on earth today. You know, at Pentecost, the disciples witnessed the birth of the New Testament church, coming and baptizing, anointing, and filling the disciples. And that's the amazing thing is when you read through the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 2, Peter, who 40 days, 50 days earlier had denied Christ, now is, is declaring the word of God boldly and faithfully. And 3,000 people come to faith in, in that moment. Later, as they preach, it talks about being 5,000 being added. Or, or as they go to the temple, gold and silver I do not have, they told to the guy who was lame, and, and, but get up, you're healed in the name of Jesus. You begin to see the power of the Holy Spirit working through the early disciples. You can see Philip talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. He's, he's somewhere else where the Holy Spirit takes him and places him. 
in another region, in another place. We, we hear about Stephen being filled and full of the Holy Spirit, giving an account of God and the way God works. And it says that no one could really argue against him. And he looked up and he got a glimpse of heaven and, and, and those didn't understand. And so he was stoned. We, 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 we come and we read about Paul being saved on the road to Damascus, Jesus appearing and filling him and said, hey, his purpose is to go to the Gentiles and he will suffer a lot. But yet, when we look through the book of Acts, yes, that happened, but yet Paul had such a fruitful ministry that went from Acts chapter 9 through the end. It's an amazing thing that we've been given this gift of the Holy Spirit. And the the book of Acts gives us many insights into the victories and challenges of the new church. But you know, there's there's one thing that I want to just kind of go off on a tangent, it kind of leads into what we really want to celebrate this morning, is, you know, when we look in the book of Acts, we hear about Philip a little bit, we hear about Stephen a little bit, we hear some about Peter, and we hear a lot about Paul. What happened to the other disciples? What happened to the other 12 or 11 and so forth? Did they just sit and say, okay, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit now, we'll let Paul and Peter go do the work of the ministry and we'll just sit in our chairs, and when there's maybe a controversy, as we find out later, then we'll rule upon that. No, every one of them went forth in some form or fashion. And so I, I found this picture. I dug up this picture. It's uh, kind of hot off the presses of the disciples. Go to the next one. All right, so you know who I'm talking about here, all right? We found this. This is, this is an authentic picture from the first century of the disciples. Colors and all, absolutely. Shows the multi-ethnic diversity, the nations, all that stuff that is there. But it's interesting because, you know, even in finding pictures, it's going to be hard to find, but there's not a lot written on these guys. We just don't know a lot. Now, this one includes Judas. Um, Matthias is is not added in at this point, uh, and it's hard to find him in some pictures added in, but just through some tradition and history and, and things that are speculation at times and, and some far-fetched traditions as well, it kind of gives us a little bit of an insight. But of course, you know, we know about Simon or Peter that, you know, he ended up in Rome at some point. And some says that him and his wife went on a preaching tour through Asia Minor, which is basically uh, modern-day Turkey, western Turkey of, of what would be um, on a map today. But, it, but, of course, he was arrested at some point um, in the late or mid-60s, and then he was crucified in the year 67, um, upside down, because of his faith. Andrew, you know, again, Scripture's kind of silent about Andrew, but there was a great persecution that started to take place in Jerusalem in, in 42 A.D. because of King Agrippa. Did I say that right, Andrew? King Agrippa? All right, you're my historian, so I'm going to look to you for the pronunciation here. And since you're Andrew too. But tradition says that he went to the Black Sea and began to minister in the Black Sea area, Armenia and Russia, kind of that area. And then he came into Asia Minor as well and eventually ended up in Greece for a period of time. And in 69, he was, he was martyred in a crucifixion without nails. And so, again, he was crucified, not the best of deaths. James the Great, because we have two James up here, but James the Great, the brother of John, probably known as one of the older disciples. And again, there's not a lot heard about him, but most people speculate that he died in 42 or 44, again, because of King Herod Agrippa, did I say that? Agrippa's death, or, or not death, but because of his, um, his persecution of, of the Christians. But there is a tradition that the Spanish hold, that, that James came to Spain and to that region to begin to preach the gospel for the very first time. You can maybe get a glimpse of this, and again, this is some speculation where Paul Paul in Romans, I believe, hears about some believers kind of in, in that area. And so we wonder, how did, how did the gospel get there? John the Beloved, you know, although he kind of stayed um, in Jerusalem for the most part, he did journey with Paul, or not Paul, with Peter to Samaria at some point, and later on to Rome. But mostly he's known for, for living in Ephesus and just being a pillar in the church in Ephesus and kind of helping raise up the church um, in Ephesus. James the Less says, one tradition holds that he was the first bishop of Syria, but most reliable sources um, say that he remained in Jerusalem and was stoned to death by an angry crowd in 62. Again, why are you crucified or why are you stoned? Because you're preaching the gospel. Because you're living for Christ. Philip, 
Of course, Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, um, but most people put him, or most traditions put him in Caesarea for about 20 years because Paul and Luke visited him in, in Acts 21, we, we find that. But also going into Asia Minor, into Turkey, and into some of the other uh, places that are close by, and was crucified upside down in 90 AD. Bartholomew or Nathaniel, probably, probably, about, probably the same person, uh, preached in modern-day Turkey and Armenia, and possibly in Persia in the early 40s. Tradition says that in, in, the, in the 60s, he went to India, but his ministry didn't last long because he was captured for preaching the, the way of Christ. He was clubbed, he was skinned alive, and finally beheaded. Again, for the sake of the gospel. Thomas, as well, you know, um, went into eastern Turkey and on to Armenia, came back to Jerusalem, and then went to northern India and was eventually um, stabbed by Hindu priests in about uh, 90 A.D. I'm sorry, in 72 A.D. Ma- uh, Matthew, known as the Phantom Apostle, because there's not much known about his life. Brother James appears to have ministered to some of the Jewish communities in Palestine and then maybe into Ethiopia where he was ma- martyred in um, 90 A.D. Simon and Jude, I know we have Judas, two Judases up here. Judas... The better Judas changed his name, or most disciples started calling him Jude, just out of the idea that we don't want to be associated with Judas. These two apostles died together. Um, Jude basically, or I'm sorry, Simon actually traveled to eastern Turkey initially and then to Armenia and to Russia, met up with Simon in 66, and, and they moved on to Iran and faced opposition from the Magi. And eventually they were um, where they actually converted 60,000 people to Christianity before being speared to death or sawn into pieces. And of course, the disciple that was added, Matthias, um, was mentioned only twice in all of Scripture and probably stayed in Jerusalem where he was also martyred um, in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel. Again, we don't have a lot of information that is there. But the impact that these men had, and even the women, you know, I love how Romans ends, chapter 16, where Paul begins to talk about the men and women who have been so helpful in his ministry, those who have served him in prison, those that he sent out to do different things, and they've been faithful in that. And how many more have done that, had that impact, but yet, many times you don't read about it or we just don't know about it. Throughout history, there's, there's been many people in the kingdom of God who have done great things and have had great impact. And so, you know, when, when we, when Michael and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, and, and I think, Andrew, you were part of that conversation too, we, we were saying, okay, how are we going to celebrate Pentecost? It's a birthday. You know, what do we do on birthdays is we celebrate that person. You know, anniversaries you celebrate, graduations you celebrate. Why don't we celebrate the church? Why don't we celebrate who PIC is, who we are collectively and what God is doing in us and through us globally and locally. You know, there's no documentaries done on PIC. There's no books written on PIC. And in some ways, you know, um, as obscure as the history is about some of these disciples or, or the apostles, sometimes PIC can be just as obscure or, or uh, hidden in some ways, hidden under, maybe under the wing of, of God. But today we want to celebrate some of the things that we're doing throughout the world and also some of the things that we're doing here in Greensboro, just to draw your attention to those. And we're only going to give a, 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 a sliver of that, just a little glimpse of that along the way. But we want to start kind of globally. And I've asked my, my beautiful wife to come and, and help me in the process. So, so come on up. And we have a PowerPoint. We want to show you some pictures. First of all, some of the different missionaries that we um, have contact and relationship with. And if you remember in January, I think it was January, we had Gabriel and Sarah Sams came. Do you guys remember them? They're in Uganda now, or maybe, they, maybe it was um, in November and, and they left in January. But just a little update from them. They, they said, you know, on paper it may sound straightforward. Provide 24 girls, impoverished or at risk, with a loving home. In reality, we know our role as house parents will be anything but. Our girls come from different backgrounds, but all are local Ugandan students boarding at, at, a, at the school. Some have never known their parents. Others have families that simply cannot provide for them. Some have HIV. Many have experienced abuse. As our first term comes to an end and our students prepare to return to their families, we're wishing them a safe journey as they travel home. We're also taking time to reflect on the past 10 weeks and what an amazing 10 weeks it has been, full of smiles, laughter, tears, 
new friendships and a deeper understanding and love of this culture. And so they've only been there 10 weeks or so, but already the impact that they're having. And so. Um, the next missionaries we're going to talk about are David and Lola Sanford, who are missionaries with um, Missionary Athletes International. And how long have they, how long has David been with MAI? Do you, oh, Michael might know. All right. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to stump the pastors. <laughs> um, but his update is, in the last 30 years, over 55,500 kids have participated in MAI camps in America and overseas. Approximately 5,500 kids attending MAI camps have made first-time decisions for Christ. In 2016, approximately 2,500 youth participated in over 40 MAI soccer camps and clinics in the Charlotte, Chicago, and Los Angeles metropolitan areas and internationally in Brazil, Germany, the Czech Republic, Ukraine, Mexico, and Kenya. In 2016, MAI sent sent 10 such missionary mission soccer teams to six countries involving a total of 194 players. The objective of these tours is to share the gospel of Jesus, support local church growth and planting efforts, and to encourage the training of local sports ministers and the growth of local sports ministries. MAI also trains sports ministry coaches around the world in soccer skills, coaching, and sports ministry practices, often in the context of their church's ministry to the community. These local churches, in turn, have trained other coaches and teams, resulting in thousands of soccer players using the skills and sports ministries MAI has planted in their countries to see lives changed. More than 160 coaches were trained last year in six different countries. Yeah, I just wanted to mention with, you know, with the SAMs, um, you know, as a church, we gave them some support, financial support, um, like a one-time gift. But David and Lola, we, we support them monthly. And so I'll kind of just uh, point that out. Let's go to the next. Pastor Caleb. Oh, no, I guess we're at Jen and we'll go to Cambodia. Oh, that's me. So Jen and Thompson um, from Cambodia or in Cambodia. Are there pictures, Nathan? All right, go to the next slide. There should be some pictures on that. All right. They've been here numerous times, and, um, but, and that's what we're doing, the, the raising of the, um, not the raising, but the collection of Cambodian. the Cambodian Christmas bags. Yeah, we, um, they're not able to get the um, Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes, so we're just doing the same idea and sending um, items for them to make their own bags to give to the children of three different villages. Yeah, one of the villages, there's over 200 kids that come and are just listening to Bible stories. They're feeding them. They're meeting basic needs. And, and that's what, um, that's what um, Jen said, providing physical needs for the village people, such as basic health care, feeding children, and helping with education. Um, they also boldly preach the gospel to all the villagers, um, the little things. And so in her, in her update, her prayer newsletter, I don't know if anyone is on the email list and got that this week, she said, we as Americans take so much for granted. Bring up the next slide, Nathan. Um, especially sight. There should be a picture. There's no picture coming through? Hmm. There should be a picture of four people wearing reading glasses. It says, so, so, so many people in Cambodia, as they age, their sight also begins to weaken, leaving them unable to read. Most people in the U.S. would just run to the dollar store and pick up a pair of glasses for a dollar and be fine. But most glasses are very much a luxury, costing at least $30 a pair, approximately the cost of food for a month for one person. Many women and a few of the men coming to the weekly Bible studies were not able to read the Bible due to not being able to see clearly. Knowing this, we purchased 30 pairs of glasses from the Dollar Tree and had them sent over to us. I wish you could have seen the excitement on their faces when they were able to read for the first time in years. And what was the first thing that they asked to read, or, or we asked them to read? The Bible. Please pray that those who are now able to read will be able to clearly understand and read God's Word. It's the little things sometimes. And then they have an announcement. It's the, none of the, those pictures working, Nathan? All right. 
there's a cute picture of a, of a child. And so we, we have someone very special that we'd like for you to meet, our child we are adopting. And so they are adopting finally. Um, I know, was it Nicaragua they were trying? And the door closed. So his name is Brax, and he's five years old and is currently living in an orphanage in China. We're so excited that we are finally able to share this with all of you. This journey of adoption has been very long and bumpy, but it seems that now things are finally getting more smoothly. We are praying that, that we'll be able to take Brax to the U.S. by the end of the year. Please be praying for his adoption, and please pray Brax will continue to grow and learn while in China. And so... Pastor Caleb um, in, in Kenya. So I met Pastor Caleb when I went to Tanzania, and uh, just, a, just a really cool guy. And he pastors a church in western Kenya, and he oversees um, two churches. Oh, with Jen and Dobson, we also support them monthly um, as a church. Uh, Pastor Caleb, we, we, have, um, we have tried to send him some money. It keeps coming back through MoneyGram. I don't know if you get these, these things, these emails about sending money to Africa. Um, so there's been some strictness with that. So we're still trying to work out. Um, but the place where he pastors, um, the church in the village is not prosperous really in any way. And the church does a number of things in the community to help the villages. Um, can you bring up the next picture? So you can see this is kind of split in some ways. Um, when I met Caleb in Tanzania a couple years ago, they hadn't even built the church. They just had the foundation laid. And so basically what he told me is when they, when they get a little bit of money, they'll buy a brick or two bricks or 10 bricks or something like that. And along the way, they've been able to build this church. Now the inside, the bottom right, you can see the inside of the church um, is dirt floor, um, which I know is typical at times, but, but they're in the process of trying to buy some flooring. And so we're, we're trying to send them some money to help them with, with that flooring. And so that's kind of the update with, with that. Um, yeah. Next, okay, the next um, family um, are, the couple is Socrat and Valbona Zanelli, who are full-time missionaries with Crew in Albania, um, and they are both Albanian. Um, it says, Crew has many ministries developing in Albania, but we are a part of GCM, Global Church Movement, and part of a church that is planted by us. We were just five, I think five people when we started, and today there are more than 45. We are so thankful to God about all these fruits. We started with the adults first, but later we started children's ministry too. Then we started a strategy on reaching youth by going to a school in that area and sharing an invitation to come to English courses and German ones. It has been a great hook, smiley face, and we have the chance to share the gospel with them. Here is a God's faithfulness short story. Um, Kliti is one of the boys that came in these courses. We shared the gospel with him, with him, and he accepted Jesus and shared immediately with his sister. She accepted too, and today they are part of our church. And guess what? Their mother is coming too in the church. Hallelujah. The women are more willing to come to the meetings, and we have women's and girls' meetings, but the men not so likely to come. So Socrates saw the need of reaching men, and he came up with the idea of playing soccer as the favorite game in Albania for men with the men of the church, and they would invite others who were non-believers. It was hard to start, but we did it, or better to say, God just made it happen, and we were amazed. One more thing, we sent people out. We encouraged our disciples and new believers to join us on missions trips, and one of them was in Kosovo, where, which is 99% Muslim. Thank you so much for supporting us and hearing our voices there in your church. We are looking forward to seeing you all in person next month. So, yeah, we're going to, um, it's now next month. Um, Valbona and Socrat will be here the last Sunday in June um, to give an update. And, of course, you notice there's an addition to their family. I think he's a little over a year old. Um, so the whole family will be here as far as I know to give an update. But again, we support them on a monthly basis, and you can just see the, the fruit of that. This is, you know, the giving, um, the prayers, and, and so forth. All right, Nathan. Brazil. 
Um, there's a couple pictures here, and, and I really didn't get an update from Brazil, um, but Damaris, because Damaris was traveling, um, if you remember Damaris, um, who was here, and she said things are going well, um, just like anything, there's, there's good and there's challenges um, in ministry, but um, the church is growing, um, they're seeing God be very faithful, um, and they, they have conferences a couple times a year where they have a men's conference and a women's conference and um, a youth conference, and so they, those things continue to grow. The halfway house, um, men still continue to come in, and they get rehabilitated, and then they're sent back out into society. Some are working in the church as well, and so... Um, we would love to go back to Brazil. Domers, that's usually when I hear from her once a month is, what dates are you coming to Brazil? And so uh, we would like to go back sometime soon. We don't know if it will happen this year. Uh, maybe Michael, Michael and Cynthia can go. We'll just go ahead and put that out before the church. You, know, you guys lead the team and, and go forth. But, uh, yeah. What else do we have, Nathan? Is it Tanzania? Oh, you can see the halfway house. All right, and we have... Uh, Pastor or Bishop Roderick in Tanzania, who is uh, Joshua's cousin. Is that correct? And so this is who invited me to Tanzania. And so um, I just had an update from him at the end of last year. Um, they have a plan to plant 30 new churches this coming year um, from September 2016 through September 2017. And in December, um, they started building a Bible school um, in a new place which covers 3.5 hectares. Uh, I don't know how much that is. That's a couple acres maybe. Um, and the project uh, we are now engaged, which is building a dormitory and a classroom for our Bible school. And so we sent some money. We sent $300, I believe, or $400 just to help them with the construction of this. And so, yeah. So here, some more local um, things, and you're going to hear from some different people. And, um, you know, I know there's a lot, in you, and if there's other stories you can certainly share. Um, Michael and I just kind of share from some of the insight that we have, um, basically, and, and a few that, that we've asked to come and share um, that's going on a little bit more local. But one thing that um, Carrie and I have participated in in the last two years is called Campus Life, Youth for Christ. Um, and basically, Youth for Christ they have a number of different arms under. They have Campus Life, City Life, all these different things that are geared to young people. And one is Campus Life. And so we, we helped start a chapter at Cornerstone Charter Academy where our kids go to school. And if you look closely, you can see Josiah is teaching the lesson. Um, and so um, our kids volunteer. Josiah volunteers. Um, Nathan's a participant, so he's supposed to be inviting all the 7th and 8th graders to come and be a part of it, which he usually does. Um, but we incorporate high school volunteers to come and teach the Word of God um, with us or, or to kind of help us lead games. But basically, it's, it's, it's to draw the non-churched in, but at, at Cornerstone, a lot of people are churched. And so what we do is we play a couple games and then we do Bible study. We open up the Word of God and say, we're going to study the Bible. And so we talk about anything from how does the Word help you deal with peer pressure or how, does, how do you learn to pray or how do you pray and just teaching them how to pray. And so we have anywhere from 25 to 30 kids showing up at 7 a.m. on Thursday morning. That is an amazing miracle, to be honest with you, because there's many mornings my alarm goes off at 5-something, and I'm just like, do I really have to go, Lord? Do I really? And, and I do the lesson plan, and so sometimes I'm giving it to all the other adults, so maybe I could sleep in, but we, we get out of bed and we get there. Um, and, and the kids get there and they're excited. And, and the reason I wanted to share this is sometimes you, you think, okay, 7 a.m. kids aren't going to show up, and then we're playing some games, and, and are they really getting anything out of the Bible study? But we've seen after two years um, the relationships that have been built, and it had conversations with students where it has made an impact in their lives. And I wanted to share that with you because I know we have a lot of teachers in the room, and, 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 you know, and I think you know you have impact, or coaches, I think you know you have impact, but sometimes you just don't know until later on. And so I want to encourage you with that is continue to do what you're doing. You may not be leading a campus life chapter like this, but you know, speaking of someone's life um, as, you, as you teach them or maybe you pull them aside and encourage them in some ways, it has an impact. And so keep doing that. Um, who else do we have? Why don't you up here? Why don't we just go ahead and do Dartmouth? Okay. 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 I just want to do a quick update about Dartmouth and let you know about some of our um, summer plans as well. Um, but the most recent thing we did at Dartmouth was an Easter outreach. We don't have any pictures, do we? Okay. Um, 
and this was mainly led by Patrice here, and um, she came out and um, brought a lot of energy and a lot of fun with her um, Saka dancing program, and so we um, just invited anybody and everybody to come and dance with us, um, and then, of course, our whole, um, you know, mission was to be able to share the gospel and to share the meaning of Easter um, with the children and their parents who came out. Um, so Patrice um, did that, and we had several children who raised their hands to um, saying that they had never, you know, prayed to receive Christ, and they would like to do that. Um, so that was exciting, and um, we had a, a humongous Easter egg, Easter egg hunt, so thank you um, for everyone who brought candy-filled eggs. We certainly had a bounty of eggs. Um, and then after, sort of after, after the Easter egg hunt was wrapping up, we just had this um, gentleman come over from the neighboring apartment community with, um, were there three or four children? Four children? They were his, like, nieces and nephews. And so they, um, they came over. They were going to play on the playground. I think they saw we were out doing stuff. And um, so Patrice said, let's, you know, let's just sit down right here and kind of redo what we just did with this small group. So we did. We, um, we just kind of improvised and we went through the, um, you know, gospel message and they all prayed to receive Christ. Um, so that was neat. And um, what that really spoke to my heart was just what we um, collectively, sort of a group of us have been praying, Lord, what do you want us to do out at Dart?" at Dartmouth in this next um, season, and we just really feel like God says has said just to be present, to be available, to build relationships, and um, right there, there was an opportunity where you just never know who's going to come out or who's, you know, who, who you're going to talk to, um, who's going to have... Um, what kind of conversation you're going to have or what kind of impact you're going to make. So um, we just really feel that strongly to just to be there, to be present, to be consistent, um, and to build those relationships. So the things that are um, on the agenda for the summer, um, as you heard the walking group that Suzanne is leading, um, we had... We did some surveys asking the residents, what would you like? What would... What, what would um, what you know? What would you want to participate in, or what would be a blessing here? And so, several people said exercise, and so we are. Um, Suzanne is leading the charge on that um, to walk twice a week, and even um, a lot of them have young children. It was actually a lot of the grandmas who take care of their grandbabies. Um, so we said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna drum up some strollers and you know stroll them around the neighborhood and and walk and um, what a great time just to be able to have conversations um, to talk um, for an hour you know and um, just to again um, be a listening ear um, for them and to be present in their lives so um, anyone who wants to help with that we would love um, you know to have a group um, come out and um, walk so um, that is starting this Tuesday um, and then we are um, trying to work on a community garden. Um, Joshua Adasi's helping us with that. And so that's a little bit tentative right now, but that's just one thing that, um, that we are planning to do. Um, we've always gone, well, the last two summers, we've gone out and done a backyard Bible club on Wednesday evening with the children. And um, just sort of as we were praying about whether or not to continue doing this, we kind of had a, a, a new idea uh, because another feedback we got from almost all the residents was it is such a blessing to have something for our children in the summer. They are bored, they don't have a lot to do, and anything you guys can come out and do would be so helpful. So we, we're going to start a summer enrichment program on Wednesday nights, um, and it's going to start um, June 14th, and it's going to um, be after prayer, so it'll start at 7.15 um, and last about an hour or hour and a half, and we want to have a different theme each week, so we will probably uh, we'll be doing soccer dancing one week and um, art one week and maybe soccer clinic one week, and we want to just have something that will just be fun for the kids, something that, you know, maybe some new things they've never tried before, but then also we will have a ministry devotional time 
in that um, in that time because we certainly still want to, you know, use that opportunity um, to share Jesus with them. So we're going to do that through the summer. And a couple ways that um, you could get involved with that. One is you can just show up and be present um, to help any of those Wednesdays, um, even if you can't come every Wednesday, any Wednesday you want to come. Um, you can come and help interact with the kids, and adults are usually there, um, especially because we have quite a few little ones, so a lot of um, the grandmas are out and other adults, so you can either interact with the kids or talk to the adults. Um, so if anyone would like to sponsor a snack, um, we're going to have, they always look forward to food, so <laughs> we're going to have a, you know, a weekly snack for them. If anybody would like to do that, you can talk to me. And then we're looking for more volunteers to lead a theme on a Wednesday night. Um, and let me just say this. It, it can be very simple. You don't, it doesn't have to be some great skill or talent that you have. If you have another idea, um, you know, come and talk to me. Um, we're still looking for a few people to be able to lead um, one of our theme nights. And you can do um, the devotional as the leader, or you can just bring the activity and someone else can do the devotional. So any questions, um, please talk to me. And the last thing um, is I just want to mention, I know that you heard me talking about um, Freedom School and just the summer literacy program. We were able to sign up, I know definitely four of the Dartmouth kids, maybe five for that. Um, they were they're entered into a six-week summer literacy program where they'll go from, um, you know, basically for the whole day, they will get breakfast and lunch and a snack. They'll um, be doing a literacy program and have fun educational field trips. And so the parents, they were just over the moon about that. It was just a great opportunity. It's all free of charge. It lasts, um, you know, good part of the summer and it'll be very helpful for the kids. So that was a big blessing. Yeah, I was going to do a grass skirt dancing enrichment program, but it got vetoed. I don't know why. So Joe and I, right? You were going to, and Michael. Um, is the walking, is that, is it Monday? Because the announcement said tomorrow and you said Tuesday. I just want to clarify. I know it's Thursday. It's Mondays and Thursdays, right? We'll look it up, but I, if, if anyone is interested, I, I believe it was Monday, Thursday. Um, but anyway, uh, Felicia? Would you like to come up and share? Hi, my name is Felicia Holton, for anybody who doesn't know me. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the mobile food pantry, and I'm going to give a little background. Um, so after the first six months of our marriage, Michael and I um, really struggled financially. And um, it came to the point that we knew something had to give. So we couldn't stop paying the water bill, the light bill, the mortgage. And God um, reminded me of a couponing class that I took here in 2006. And I was like, boom, that's it. We can save on food. And so... After that, um, we just really started to see the difference and the amount of money that we could save each month through using coupons. And so I started giving to friends and family because who needs 25 extra bags of brown rice? I mean, really. So after um, I got a system going and everything, I really felt like um, God was calling me to do more. And so it was not just your family and not just um, with friends here and there, but how can you expand this? And I felt God telling me to do a food pantry. So I'm like, okay, that's great. How am I going to do this? When am I going to do it? Where? And so all these questions started coming to my mind, and I just got so scared. I was just like, oh, my gosh. I have this that you want me to do. I don't know what to do. And so I talked to Miss Cynthia about it because you have to share your idea with somebody. And she was like, Felicia, go for it. And I'm like, really? She's like, yes, just do it. And she said something, and it just really stuck with me. She said, well, what's the worst they can say? The worst they can say is no. I was like, but I don't want to hear no. And she's like, well, if they say no, keep doing what God has already told you to do. 
And I did it. I stepped out. I wrote a proposal, presented it to the pastor and the elders, and they said yes. And so the PIC Mobile Food Pantry was birth. And we, <laughs> um, my husband helped me, and um, there were just different needs in the church that I was like, you know, I have a skill. I have this talent now that um, has developed, and I want to do something. And so we gave to different individuals, different families, um, and it was so amazing to be able to give and to share and to serve in that way. Um, but the thing that was so impactful was that we went to people's homes or wherever to bless them. And it was so like, let us give to you in this time, because we know what that struggle is. We really, really know what that struggle is. And we were able to pray with people and we prayed together, and sometimes we cried together and shared stories together and listened to people, and it was such a reciprocal thing. Like, we went with the heart to give, and we ended up receiving um, much more than we could ever give, and so I'm just so thankful um, to our pastor and to our leadership um, for seeing what God had put on my heart and saying, yes, go for it. So I guess my encouragement would be if God is putting something on your heart or something that um, you feel like, God, how, when, why, where, um, to not despise small beginnings. Like it might start really small in your house or whatever, but um, if God is putting it on your heart to do and you know it's from him, then step out and see what he'll do. Very good. Ms. B. I think everybody know who I am. The name is B. Murchison, Northea B. Murchison. Um, I'm very thankful and grateful. I was asked to uh, just give a little detail as to what I have been doing for the last two and a half years. And uh, I started to say Passaic County. I'm all the way in New Jersey again. Mm -hmm. Guilford County uh, Greensboro Jail, where, um, okay, where I work with a, um, well, let me, let me do the scripture first. Um, Matthew 25, 35 through 40. For I was on hunger. And you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a strange stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these brethren, ye have done it unto me. Um, I worked in a jail ministry in New Jersey for about three, four years under the leadership of my brother, who's also a pastor there in New Jersey. And uh, so when I came here, I had inquired about doing that and just speaking to people, but PIC wasn't doing that at the, at the moment. I think we have done that a little bit. Uh, but anyway, I met this lady at the Y. And in a water aerobics class, and um, she had done that for years, and we just struck up this conversation, and she said she felt like the Lord was leading her to do that. She also moved from Pennsylvania, and I think we came here about the same year, and she felt that the Lord was leading her to do that. So I got real excited, 
and didn't know she was really going to carry through with that, but she did. She wrote up a proposal for uh, to do that and got it all set up. And then when she got it all set up, she called in some people that she felt that the Lord had led her to call, and I just happened to be one of those people, so I was grateful for that. So for the last two and a half years, I have been going to uh, the jail um, in Greensboro. And the name of her organization is called Love Alive Ministry. So uh, I've been a part of that and thankful and grateful for the, the results that we've been privileged to witness God's faithfulness to his creation. Uh, so when I was asked, I said, mm, when I go, I like to hear what the women have to say. Now, yeah, we go in to minister them and, and I guess teaching. I've never really um, liked teaching adults in that sense. My thing are kids. I like getting on the floor. I like roaming around with them. And now I'm finding that I'm getting older. So when I get on the floor, the kids got to help me get up or you got to go bring me a chair or something because I can't just get right up anymore. So uh, we, we have been, for the last few weeks, we've been talking um, about, um, uh, what's his name? Jesus. Oh, y'all, excuse me a minute. I got to get that right. Yeah. That's another thing, too, I find, that as I get older, my brain goes somewhere. But he, it doesn't stay with me. Uh, yes, Rick One's <laughs> purpose-driven life. And, you know, our lives are purpose-driven while we, whether we want it to be or not. God's just done that for us. He, he's, he gives us purpose. And, and so um, we're, in this, we're in this book of Rick Warren's. And the last lesson that I did with those ladies, um, it was called Cultivating Community. And, you know, stuff like this, just, it just brings you home. And so I said, cultivating, cultivating. I thought of farming, but I, what, that wasn't hitting it. But then I looked it up, and it is. It's a part of farming. Farming, like working on the farm, okay? Improvement, learning, educating, training, agriculture. And now that I have a garden again, well, I don't have a garden, excuse me, there's a community garden where I live, and I've kind of just taken over, I guess you could say that, because they said that um, they said that people could could decide what they wanted to do, and they could do anything they wanted to do. So I had asked people about that. Okay, I'm I'm on the, I'm not going to go there. I'm I'm, I'm going to come back. Uh, okay. So cultivating the community, it says we can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if we're willing to do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. And our lesson really is, was all about that today and has been from First Peter. So... Uh, it takes both God's power, our efforts to produce a loving Christian community. So in getting comments from the ladies, because I said I wanted them to share and that I was going to bring what they shared back when I was asked to do this. So these are some comments that I had gotten from the ladies, because what I wanted to know from them, how had Love Alive uh, impacted their lives, um, caused them to think about who they were and changing their lives from who they had been to who they now have become. So um, from that, um, these are the kind of comments that we got. Felt broken without being whole uh, I'm sorry, felt broken 
without being whole again. That was before, but now they no longer feel broken, but they're beginning to feel whole like a person. Self-esteem was not something that most of those ladies had. Uh, faith and encouragement. That was comments I'm just making. Left Behind series. We did that series in the jail, Left Behind, and that was such an encouragement for the, for the ladies. And some of them said it caused, several, uh, um, it caused them to see more clearly that they needed to change their own lives. They didn't want to be left behind. And I said, neither do I. <laughs> Many pamphlets and booklets and, and things that we have given to them on temptation. Because even though the women are in jail, look, they make up their own little things, guys, in jail about what they, what they do right in jail. They come, they come with some baggage that they didn't have in jail. Women can pick up some stuff so you can use your imagination. And there's just so much going on till when you're there and you hear some of the stuff. You know, I cry anyway, but that will bring tears not only to your face, but to your heart. It just it can just drain you. So change uh, a chance for fellowship. That's one of the things they said. Learn the importance of prayer and reading the word, even on their own. That's what they're doing. And we at Love Alive have witnessed changed lives. We have witnessed those women coming to the Lord, giving their hearts to the Lord in jail. And there, there are some that will, the door will be swinging. But you know, just as you know, in serving each other here at PIC, you know there's some, 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 some sincerity in the hearts of some of those women. They will never come back through those doors. And that's an encouragement. They learn to forgive others and to forgive themselves, they said. And lights coming on on the inside. Learning to love myself and develop self-worth. Believing in God and myself. So many women have accepted Jesus, I said that, as Lord and Savior of their lives. Uh, learning to walk with God. Learning to build their faith. Learning to have faith that they didn't even know they had, okay? Closer relationship with God, peace of mind. Uh, and then coming to love alive, a lot of those women says, for them, they look forward to Tuesdays and Fridays because it's like we look forward to coming to church. We look forward to coming on Wednesday to pray, to intercede. Then we look forward again to coming here on Sunday to fellowship, not just uh, uh, with each other, but we come corporately as a body of Christ where we need each other. We talked about that this morning, and that's something that we talked about in the last lesson, that we are a body of believers. Don't, don't, take, my, don't take my hand and cut that off. I need that. Don't take my toe and, and cut that off. I need that. You might be my toe. Somebody else might be my head. We need each other. When we explain to the ladies uh, talking about our own uh, natural bodies, how that fits in with the body of Christ, we need each other just like we need every part of our body. And when any part of our body hurts, then that's a part that we need to then rally around each other so that those those pains leave and I don't just mean physical I mean mental however that could go okay so women have been made um oh oh so all right one more there was one lady who talked about her evil thoughts and her tension and her animosity towards others in the jail, how she would not want to be a part of any of it, you know, just putting herself somewhere else, just did not want to be a part. But that is not a good way to live. 
uh, and not that she thought she was better. She just didn't fit in. At least she didn't think so. But how God has changed her heart. So this, this has really been great for me being a part of Love Alive Ministry. And um, I have, if anyone is interested, I, may, I meant to say this too, Pastor, to, to you, that um, if anyone is interested, there is some, some um, ways that you can get involved in jail ministry, prison ministry, if that's what the Lord has for you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Michael. Hey, Nathan. There should be another picture. Oh, Lord, I know what that is. <laughs> uh, Nathan. <laughs> is the uh, recording still going? It's so stop the recording. All right. <clears throat>